0: I was like, just getting a little bit obsessed with it. Just the look and feel of like a lot of these different games, just buying a download PDF, like left and right and just getting obsessed with it. I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I should run something, you know, like I've been reading up on all of this, reading up on like the old school way of play, reading through old school essentials, etc. Maybe I should just play.
1: Today my guest is Emil Boven, writer, illustrator, and designer of the games Durf and the Electrum Archive. Emil has stumbled across the tabletop indie scene only a couple of years ago, and since then he's been extremely productive. He wrote several adventures and models, two games, he quit his day job to become a full-time TTRPG designer and contributed to build an international community of creators. His two main titles are Durf, a rules-light fantasy game, and the Electrum Archive a space fantasy RPG with a pretty unique magic system. So let me ask you a first question. How was Emil as a teenager? Were you like a geeky teenager? Were you into imaginary words? or? Oh, yeah, very much, very much so.
0: I was pretty geeky, nerdy. I read a lot, like a lot of fantasy, not as much science fiction as I do now, but just a lot of like sort of sorcery and just like high fantasy stuff.
1: Emil used to be a video game RPG player, and he discovered tabletop RPGs via internet. His beginnings though, were a bit complicated. I was very much a forum person. So
0: I was like on all these digital forums, like reading up on like, what is this thing? I eventually bought the third edition book secondhand on some website somewhere. But I have actually absolutely nobody to run it with. So eventually I ran like a game for my girlfriend, but she like really hated it. <laughs> I think most of the disconnect was there in, not necessarily in that she didn't like role-playing games, but I was just very bad at it and trying <laughs> to put everything like in it at the moment, instead of just like running a game, you know? Oh, and I, I found like a copy of the second edition, a fan station dragon's book on a flea market somewhere two years prior, I believe. I think that's mostly what sparked my interest. I still have that one. It's like a very cherished old copy of it. Oh
1: yeah. It's a relic or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. It has like all these memories of just reading through it. Like I could barely understand English. So I was reading all these words that I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. So I
1: don't know, there's
0: like a lot of feelings of like the mystical aspect of this rule book, not even because the setting or anything, but just because I couldn't figure out what it said in English. Oh yeah,
1: I see. Later on, Emil met some gaming buddies in university and he started playing more consistently. He quickly reached the shores of the indie scene and brought to his group the indie titles he was discovering, specifically Mork Borg. Most of these happened online during the pandemic.
0: So I eventually just pitched to the same group that I was running games with. Hey, maybe we cannot come together over Discord because we can't meet in person. And maybe we should run some of these games and see if it's fun.
1: So wait, uh, you, you found Morgborg Borg and other indie stuff at the beginning of 2021 and you started writing DERF little after that, right?
0: Yeah. I was like just getting a little bit obsessed with it. Just the look at yeah. feel of like a lot of these different games, just buying a downloading PDF like left and right, and just getting obsessed with it. I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I should run something. You know, like I've been reading up on all of this, reading up on like the old school way of playing, reading through old school essentials, et cetera. Maybe I should just play.
1: So, as he was playing Morgborg and all these cool indie RPGs, Emil started writing Durf, a rules-light fantasy RPG that kind of concentrates all the best that OSR games have been putting out in the last years. And this is where Emil's video game studies come into play. The OSR design philosophy kind of resonated with what Emil was studying and designing Durf went really fast. You tried out and pretty quickly you started Writing, I guess, because when when did you release Derv? Was it in the uh, in autumn 2021 or something like that? Was it like November, or October, maybe earlier? Yeah, think. I think it was published on June seventh, 2021. Okay, that's amazing. So less <laughs> than than six months after discovering, yeah, the OSR yeah. style of play, philosophy, whatever. Did you, did you know you were going to release the game when you started writing it for you and your gaming group?
0: Well, it was always like in the back of my head because when I was reading Old School Essentials, I was also reading a lot of blog posts, OSR blog posts, and was like, Hey, I should just like try and write a dungeon.
1: The first thing that Emil published is an adventure called The Rod King's Sanctum. It's an eight-page adventure featuring a dungeon hidden in sewers and lots of rats. The adventure has been published in Knock, and if you don't know Knock, you should check it out. And before writing it, Emil kind of retro-engineered all the cool OSR adventures he had read to craft a checklist of all the things that a cool dungeon should have. I mean, what's in that checklist? What are the important things? You know, what should be in a good dungeon or in a dungeon you enjoy running or playing? You know,
0: the three things that I personally think are really enjoyable in a good dungeon is that it should provide enough space or at least enough for different routes you can take through it It should probably be a few circles that are overlapping basically like a few loops. I think that's really important. And a lot of people that are way smarter than me have like talked about this a bunch, but what I enjoy about it is like when I run dungeons like that, you have like actually places you can go to, to retreat from enemies, you can loop around to like try like pincer movements on them. You can use all kinds of different tactics and which you can't really do in, like a linear dungeon. The other thing is interactable things in it that might be very clear that you can interact with them, but also some things that you might not, even as the DM might not even have a clear example for how you can interact with it specifically. Just a lot of like opportunities for players to just fuck around with, you know, enjoy and uh, create funny moments and interesting moments. So weird puzzles, weird traps. And the last thing is interesting NPCs or factions that you can play against each other and play around with and have this interaction, make the dungeon feel like an interesting, alive space. I think those are the three main things, I guess. But there's like a lot of things that make a dungeon work. I graduated in August of 2021. And so I was like, okay, I should probably have a job to support myself after this, because I didn't have the financial support from the government for my study anymore. Yeah. So I started to deliver mail, which was really great. Actually, I really liked doing it. Where were you doing it? Just my hometown. Basically, the Netherlands is a very flat country. So biking wouldn't be like much of a problem. But like Hilfsham has a lot of hills, which is a great, if you have 90 kilos of
1: mail on your bike. Somehow I imagined that while you were biking and delivering mail that you were thinking about game design. I don't know if that's accurate, but I remember one day. Oh yeah, that's accurate.
0: Yeah. Like I was like getting bored with biking, just the same route every day over and over again, pretty quick. So I eventually just started listening to a lot of podcasts, like including this one, a whole bunch of like OSR and old school RPG related podcast stuff. While listening to those things, I was just like also thinking a lot about what should I add, you know, what can I do with this thing? It was constantly just moving in my head. I did most of my thinking process on my bike, and then I would go home. I would write those things down. I had a notes app on my phone where I just like recorded a lot of things, like while biking. I would just like stop like a bunch of times and just jot down a few quick notes, and then come home and try to decipher them and see <laughs> what I was actually thinking. You know.
1: I think I remember you tweeted something about inventory.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was biking and it was like pretty warm. It was summer, I believe, or at least end of summer, maybe. And I was thinking about stress mechanics, because when you go deliver the you have these two bags at the back and a basket situation in the front. And so that's basically your inventory slots, you know? I think the bike can, in total, you, it can hold like about like 30 kilos in each slot. So there's like three slots. So it's like a 90 kilo of milk on my bike. That's huge. Which is a lot to go uphill with. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: But that inventory management was really interesting to think about because the situation you have in dungeon crawlers is that you have to think about, okay, how many of my slots do I fill with stuff that I actually need? And it was just really interesting. If you have an inventory system where it also fills with tiredness, stress,
1: because again, as the day went by, Emil's baskets got emptier, and he got more tired. That became the core of Durf inventory mechanic. As you gain stress, your inventory fills up, and you can carry less items.
0: That uh, it was just a little moment of game design, like a game system, and a physical real-world situation overlapping, and that felt really interesting to me.
1: And you stopped working at some point.
0: Yeah. I would have kept on delivering mail if the pay was better. And if my boss wasn't being such a dickhead, I followed the stairs and like hurt my wrist. And like my boss was like being a bit of a dick about me still having to like deliver 90 loads of mail every day, even though wow. like my wrist was still healing. <laughs>
1: And so you decided to go full TTRPG, right? Yeah, exactly. Which was like really fucking scary to do. (laughs) Yeah, was it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I think
0: at the time I didn't make like a lot of money from it. I don't know, 50 bucks a month or something. Yeah. Sometimes a little spike if a lot of people found out about it. So and that's
1: not enough, yeah, to support one person. That's a, <laughs> no, yeah,
0: exactly. And it was like a really weird decision for me because I was in a space where I was like, "Yeah, this is, this isn't working for me." The whole work environment had really changed at the post office, basically, mm-hmm. because of my beef with my boss. So that was really, really putting me down. like, how the fuck am I gonna survive financially? Mm-hmm. I Had some like great talks with like my my partner, and yeah, I just like started working extra hard, I guess, on like my RPG stuff. Yeah.
1: As I mentioned earlier, Emil has several skills. He's got great teams of contributors on his projects, but he's present at all the steps of the creation process, from writing to art and to layout. There is one specific aspect of your work, is that you write and also draw. And and I really love your drawing style, actually. Thank you very much. Is it something... You started to do as an adult, a young adult, or maybe as a kid.
0: Yeah. My mother is an art teacher. Yeah. And from a young age, it was like encouraged to just like make stuff, you know? Uh, so I started drawing very early on and I really liked it. And I always thought, oh, I'm going to go to art school, you know? And eventually I did, but I didn't go like for an illustrator or just general like visual art thing, but for the more technical side of it to make video games specifically. So a lot of my drawing was. Surely to sketch out some things before I would make it on the computer, you know, like I'd work it out in 3Ds. So my self-esteem regarded my art, how I thought of my art, my physical drawings and stuff was pretty low. It was most thought of as something functional, you know?
1: Yeah. But then Emil started working on his first RPG derv and he needed art for it.
0: I didn't have any budget or anything. So with the nature of the OSR and like the more open, the creative space that it is. I kind of felt like encouraged to try it again, even if my art would be a little bit bad, it didn't matter, you know, like the OSR is like a little bit like that, you know, that's kind of the appeal of the space, the DIY aspect of it. I just like gave it a shot and like people would really seem to resonate with it.
1: The Electrum Archive is a space fantasy RPG. Reading it brought me back to the feelings of wonder and mystery I had when reading sci-fi and space opera books as a kid. Originally, the Electrum Archive was a setting for dearth. But bending the derf rule set, which is tailored for a medieval fantasy, didn't really work. Specifically, Emil had trouble adapting the magic system. So you're doing a lot of playtests, right? On a regular basis.
0: Yeah, I started a open table game on like the Gold of the Lizard King Discord, which is Emil's Discord server. And I just started to make weekly playtests. Like every Monday we run a game, there's a dungeon crawl, open table game. People can just come in make a character and try to explore this dungeon together. Which is like this big alien ship that's buried in this old giant Canyon. And I think the reason that I wanted to do it was during my bachelor, because she Gave me a lot of playtesting just to find bugs, you know? So it was like drilled into me test everything. If you have like a little bit of a core engine, just fucking test it, like as early and as often as possible.
1: Even if the game is not like polished and finished.
0: Yeah, specifically that. Yeah, like you should just test early and often just when you have like the bare bones to run a game and see like what happens.
1: Did it help you sketch out the world of orn, or did you have that clearly, you know, drawn in mind before starting the playtests?
0: It's weird. Like the playtest didn't help much for fleshing out the world because the platus was mostly set at one place, which this city of Maroon, which is on the edge of this rift where all these old alien spaceships are within basically. How I would describe it, it's like science fantasy, but the emphasis is more on fantasy than on science, I guess.
1: Do you want to talk about the development process of it? Because, so it's available. On each, but at the same time, it's a work in progress, and you're very open and you share a lot about your development process, which makes it particularly awesome to follow.
0: At the time, I was reading like all of like periodicals, like series of scenes, you know, like *Outs of Fire* and *Oh Yeah* *Wormskin* for the Dolmenwood setting. Scenes that piece by piece present this setting. I was really intrigued by that. I think the original plan for the *Election Archive* issue one. What, 24 pages. It has grown quite big at the moment, but I think it's a good place to be for the first issue that sets the foundations for everything. How I would like to write an Archive is more like a not a puzzle from where you get pieces once in a while, but more like a paint by numbers where you get a color once in a while, but the frame and the line are already there, you know? Yeah, yeah. The first issue is a little bit bigger to set the stage for everything.
1: And listen, how does your work day? is, you know, what you do, you sit at the desk, how do you work? What's your routine?
0: My routine changes every day. It's very bad for me. I'm trying very hard to get like a routine and logging my hours helps get a sense of like what I'm doing actually. I've only started logging my hours a few weeks ago, and then I started to notice that I actually work 50 hours a week, 55 hours a week.
1: Where does that happen? Like at your desk, at your computer or?
0: Yeah, my work day is basically like, I go bike, try to do that every morning still. Biking a lot with like 90 kilos of mail. that's fucking great for your physique. But ever since I stopped, I'm having a real hard time, like trying to keep that routine and like try myself from just letting it all go, you know? Yeah. most often it starts with just going through the little to-do list I make and the to-do list is based Oh, people who reacted on me, all things I send out while I was sleeping, because like a lot, yeah. a lot of people I communicate with like in America or Asia, they're not really in the same time zone as me.
1: You just spoke about talking with and exchanging with people in different time zones. That leads pretty naturally to the Good Sleep Collective. Do you want to talk a little bit about how and why you created that collective of European game designers?
0: Yeah, sure. I was on Twitter and basically all the people I interacted with were from the wider world of tabletop RPGs, I guess. And I was kind of feeling, hey, where are all the people in Europe? The only people like I really knew were you and a few people from the UK, but the UK always also feels weird because, I don't know, there's a very big difference between creators in the UK and the US and the rest of the world. Basically. Yeah, I think it's like the the language. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, (laughs) so. I was very curious because you have all these very cool initiatives. The Latin American game designers all come together have this cool thing together and the Southeast Asian creators who are working together at least have like some hashtag to connect with each other. I didn't have a good feel for like who else was making games in just continental Europe, you know? So I sent out a tweet about that. Hey, where is everybody? And it basically boiled down to like, there are a lot of small communities, basically all the French basically have their own community with French RPGs. And the Italians have the same thing. The Polish have the same thing. It's all very much these little pillars, yeah. people like all their own language. W- which was really interesting to me as a Dutch designer, because in the Netherlands, a lot of people just speak English. Like D&D is mostly also just run in English.
1: Like you mean people actually play games in English?
0: Yeah, exactly. Most of the in-game, like in-character talk was English.
1: Oh yeah. That's interesting. Because all all the books are also in English,
0: you know, like, so all the terminology is in English. feels really weird to like translate that to like Dutch. It just felt interesting to see these communities in France and Germany and Italy just playing games in their own language, which is really cool. But it also results in that you'd have no cross-pollination whatsoever between those communities.
1: And so the Good Sleep Collective was born. It's a small Discord server where European creators hang out and support each other. And it's called Good Sleep because playing with folks across time zones is super fun and mind opening, but it can quickly lead to sleep deprivation. You get the idea. Back to the Electrum Archive. In the world of Orn, silver and gold are extremely common and have little value. They're everywhere. Actually, sand is abundantly made of these two metals. The most valuable substance is ink It has ancient and mysterious origin. It's a currency and it's used to cast spells. So I'd like to know, how did you come up with that idea about ink being like the more precious substance?
0: So basically I wanted to do something interesting with how money worked and like tying it to magic basically, but I didn't really know how. What is the economy running on you now? I settled on ink, like a magical ink, like elder ink, and I just started describing these different properties to it. If you nebulize it and inhale it it and cast spells, you can connect with this like spirit realm. And if you heat it up, it becomes this gas, which creates mutations. And if you mix it with clay, you can create like these vessels, which can be like bodies for spirits basically. So they can survive on this side of like the, the veil between worlds. This ink is now very precious because basically you can do a lot of things with this and you can do magic with it. Ink is power, you know, very much like the Dune idea of like, he controls like the spice controls the universe.
1: And the rest of the Ornn setting is built around it. The whole orn world, social structure revolves around ink and its mysteries. And one class, the Warlocks, can use it to cast magic
0: maybe there are like these merchant houses who like fight for power. And maybe it's like a little bit apocalyptic in the sense that there was like this big disease who like killed like most of the people and like the trade network collapsed. So it's like a world of like fallen glory. And it's just these things kept piling on top of each other and like just feeding into each other. And eventually that just became Orm, a setting where you can smoke ink to cast spells.
1: It's so cool. And it's so cool that magic has such a physical aspect. I love that. Yeah, like spellcasters always
0: have, a, have an interesting position in role-playing games, It's a glass cannon and there's like a lot of ways of limiting a spellcaster's powers from spell slots and oh, they have like different types of spell books they have to carry and yeah. a lot of things to like try and limit it and there's oh, magic points, but like what if magic points are like a physical thing? So somehow it got into my head, like wouldn't it be cool if like all the classes are like kind of like normal classes, but the. Wizard or warlock, as it's called in like the Electrum Archives. Wouldn't it be cool if they would just be like a pay to win clause, as in like MMOs? You can pump as much in world resources into them as you can, and they just can do better magic.
1: But you'll burn all your ring too, and you won't have resources to buy things anymore, because the source of magic and money are basically the same thing. Speaking about ink, the Electrum Archive is filled with beautiful art. It's illustrated by Emil himself and Logan Stahl, Charles Ferguson Avery, and Tom Duijm. I'm sure I'm butchering their name, I'm so sorry, I feel so bad about that, I have no idea how to pronounce it. The art has slightly a retro vibe, but reinterpreted through contemporary canons, and despite small variations in the illustration styles, It's extremely consistent. The funny thing is that you are commissioning illustrations from other artists, but still they look very much like, I don't know, like the Electrum Archive. I mean, there's a lot of consistency.
0: I've done some art direction before for video games. So I have like a little bit of like background, I guess, in writing documents like that. And like trying to like pinpoint. What kind of things would, like the whole project should go for and like the look and feel, what kind of shapes to use, what kind of patterns, how does it need to look and feel? I go maybe a little bit overboard with when I commission people. I send them like this little brief, basically, which isn't really brief. It's more like a little document with some mood board boards and stuff and like some.
1: Yeah, you mean like several pages or? I think it's eight
0: to 10 pages sometimes. But it's like, depending on how many illustrations I want, but I try to be like pretty precise in what I want in both the tone and the visual, like aesthetic of it, but after that I always say, yeah, take this, but then still try to do your own thing. Logan and Charles both embraced it and done like really great illustrations for it. It's a very fine line to walk, I think, because I can imagine an illustrator myself and two commissions. It's hard when a client basically said, Hey, I want this and then just gives no explanation. But it's also a lot when people come with these big documents, like, Hey, read this and I want exactly this. So I try to like, just give them visuals. So they get what I'm going for, but they can still agree like, interpret it in their own way. So it's not too, too overbearing with too much specifics and too much detail.
1: Uh, just a quick question about the next issues. Are they going to be like more adventure or set, setting oriented or?
0: The later issues, of the Electrum Archive, since the first one will be like pretty much foundational, just like setting out the rules and like the very baseline of the setting, the later adventure will fill in some of the gaps still left and will provide more actual table ready material. You know, like there will be more actual dungeons and actual adventures you
1: can have. Oh, that's um, exciting. Okay.
0: Just in general, I'm really happy with like the response to everything I've made so far. And just the connections that I've made like with you and with other people, like in the collective, and like outside of it. When I started this the last year, I had like this feeling of like, oh, this is like a fun community, but I was also very scared to have to prove myself or something, you know, like I have to make these things they have to be like really good. But along the way, like a lot of people in the collective and just people I've met through just Twitter and Discord, a yokai gal who reached out to me like after I made, they're talking about like the Rot King Sanctum that was really good. Like they helped me get in touch with like Leo from like LFOSR. Yeah, like there's a lot of like these small moments of connections between different creators that I was very intimidated about. Like Eva Islam, she has been really helpful. We talked a bunch about just the community in general and how people approach each other and the nicer parts of it, the not so nice parts of it. And just like, I guess I just wanted to say that I'm very excited to like connect with more people over like this weird RPG hobby thing that we have got we're doing, I guess. <laughs>
1: That was Emil Boven, designer of the tabletop RPGs Durf and the Electrum Archive. On the Lost Base store, you can find a special Emil Boven bundle. It includes the Electrum Archive, Durf, Wizardry and the Lair of the Gobbler, plus a sticker sheet. It's twenty five percent off the regular price. Go get it. It's a cool bargain. It won't last very much. It's a cool way to get all Emil's zines and support his work. And it's also a cool way to support a podcast, too. You'll find it at thelostbaystudio.com. You've listened to The Lost Bay podcast, a show about and with indie tabletop RPG creators. It's produced and edited by me, Eco. Editing supervisor is Laura L. LA. Music is by Every Isles. Additional music for this episode is by Tinkler, aka The Mail. I'll drop the link to Tinker Music in the show notes. If you want to be notified of future episode release, just subscribe to the podcast in the podcasting application right now or subscribe to the newsletter. You'll find the link at thelostbaystudio.com. Thanks a lot for listening and until next time, stay well.